Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to I'm Absolutely Fine, the podcast from the middle that looks at all the glamour and indignity of being a grown-up. One of the things we regularly talk about on the podcast, besides our crushing anxiety and inability to get organised around writing a will, is bras. Yes, so how quickly I take them off when I get home at night. You know, sometimes I ring the bell instead of using my key so I can start unclipping. And what to do about Annabelle's huge boobs? I mean, you name it. Yes, my huge unruly boobs. So, a lingerie and swimwear brand called Beige London got in touch and said they'd like to work with us because they are all about making women feel happy and confident in their bodies. They are a woman-owned, woman-designed brand who pride themselves on their amazing fit. And guess what? It turns out that I love their fuss-free modern vibe and they're so comfortable, I knew something was different when I realised it was 10pm and I hadn't felt the need to take my bra off. And for me, they are strong on the support without sacrificing the sexy. Imagine that. And the knickers are pretty and also comfy. I'm wearing matching sets for the first time in my life. So we are delighted that this week the podcast is sponsored by Beja London. That's B-E-I-J-A London. Visit beja.london for a look at their beautiful modern classics from a double A up to a 36H. They also offer a free 20-minute online bra fitting if you're unsure about your size. And they are also giving I'm Absolutely Fine listeners a 15% discount. Just enter the mid-alt at checkout. Beja London. Bras for all the lives you lead and all the women you are. Hi, I'm Emily and I'm absolutely fine, but I lost my voice yesterday, which was quite an unnerving experience. And Annabelle immediately put me on Madonna voice rest and I was banned from speaking. And actually, it was an extremely, like, it was both unbelievably stressful and also incredibly liberating not being able to speak. <laughs> I know that sounds mad, but it was really annoying not being able to voice the little things like, don't do that, or can you pass me this, or whatever, the little tiny instructions we deliver all day or that we expect to be understood straight immediately, and it's a bore to write down, stop, <laughs> or whatever. But I had a really difficult conversation with my husband about something I was really worried about it and I did it on notes and actually 
I wrote down everything that I was worried about and sort of handed it to him. But And I was both in the room communicating, but I was also had the completeness of my thoughts put down. So there was no kind of worry about constructing with my voice. And in fact, then we ended up having a very constructive, I'm doing discussion in air quotes about my worries. And actually it was incredibly releasing. And it was so strange because one is always, you know, so especially with all the therapy I've had and all the talking that we do about how we feel. And actually sometimes talking about feelings is incredibly difficult. And actually writing them down while you're sitting next to the person that you're communicating with is incredibly good. So there you go. Who knew? There you go. So if anybody wants to like try this new approach, use notes, communicate, and, uh, and you just get to say the whole thing, I suppose is the thing. Anyway, there you go. Very modern. How are you, Annabelle? I love that you're so obedient. I said, okay, you can't talk now. And then you (laughs) did not open your mouth for the rest of the day. It's like what I said to you 15 years ago in a meeting, which is being like swivel-eyed, deranged. I said, have you had coffee? And she said, yeah, yeah, I did have a coffee. I went, you can never drink coffee again. And? 15 years later, I'm still (laughs) coffee sober. I've got got to be careful about these edicts that I sort of pile (laughs) onto you. Um, and I literally didn't speak to, for like 16 hours. Well, listen to you now. I know, look at that, perfect. I mean, it is a bit husky, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to run with it. Um, I'm Annabelle and I'm absolutely fine. But I cannot remember a time when I didn't worry about my body and my shape and my size all day, every day. And I really, really mean every minute of every day. It's pervaded everything I do, every decision I make, my mood, how I feel. I mean, you know, the the shame and worry and panic. And it's not something that I talk about because it, you know, (laughs) frankly, first of all, it makes me feel more ashamed because of the world that we live in. And secondly, because if I'm talking about something else, I'm not thinking about this. So, you know, we wondered, listeners, how do you feel about your body? Can you celebrate its wondrous function? Do you high five yourself every time you are able to tie your own shoelaces or carry something heavy or dance a merry jig? Um, Do you admire your favourite bits and also embrace your other bits? Are you happy with your size and shape or do you often see yourself as a before picture? If only I were thinner, more toned, if only I had bigger, smaller, perkier boobs. Um, If you are as seasoned as we are, then you will have run the daily gamut of diet culture for years possibly most of your life. Um, It's a permanent hunger games where we just dodge the weight loss spectacle. Poisoned arrows flying around in the form of happiness threatening, or actually life threatening, obsession with thinness and with food. Step forward, our guest today, Alex Light, who is at the front line of this battle, which began when she realised that societal body pressure was making her ill and miserable. She's now hugely influential in helping people separate reality from the airbrushed patriarchal diet pressure that makes so many of us hate ourselves. She is inspirational in her dedication to promoting body confidence and self-acceptance by talking about her own eating disorder struggles and pointing out the dangerous hypocrisies and downright lies in the media and fashion world surrounding women's bodies. She has a number one podcast with the brilliant M. Clarkson called Should I Delete That? And now she's written a brilliant book. You are not a before picture. Frankly, Emily and I are a little bit obsessed with her. So we are delighted to have her here. Alex, how are you? Oh my God, what an intro. (laughs) Do you know what? I'm going to like record that intro and play it as I wake up in the morning. Just like... (laughs) We're your hype women. Yeah, you are. Start me off on a good note. That's amazing. 
<laughs> I'm Alex. I'm absolutely fine. But I think I've come to the realization that my dog prefers my husband to me. <laughs> and it is causing me some emotional and psychological distress. <laughs> and that distress is making me further distressed because why am I distressed that my dog prefers my husband to me? So there you go. I think that's perfectly understandable. Now, are you sitting with the uncomfortable feelings or are you secretly bribing the dog? Are you trying oh, to manipulate the dog? Absolutely. Are you trying to make yourself more lovable for the dog? I am doing my best. I'm doing my all. <laughs> I'm doing everything in my power to try and make this dog like me more. I mean, I am feeding her like... I call it canapes. Like I eat, I have my meal and then I give her little snippets of mine. And I said, "Would you like a canapé? Would you like a canapé, madam?" And give the dog a little. Um, and for some reason, she just gravitates towards him instead. So there we go. I, I have such a hard relate to that. When we first got our dog, I, I sort of had to deal with the idea that I was the third most loved person in, <laughs> yeah. in family by, by my husband, my daughter, and then and then me. But actually, since working from home has come, I've actually, I'm winning. Oh, does it, sli- Alex, does it make you slightly hate your husband? <laughs> yes, because he, he, he feels it as well. I can see when they were cuddled up on the couch together last night, I could see him giving me sly, smug looks. So I was like, I, I see it, I get it, okay. <laughs> so it's a bit fractious at the moment, all of the relationships in this house. Well, also, you're promoting this book and promoting your book is, is, is sort of yeah. more exhausting than writing the book and what a book. So, I mean, I almost got the sense that from, from you know, engaging with all the stuff that you do for, for years now, which is brilliant. Please follow Alex on Instagram. It just makes oh. you feel a lot better about everything. Um, I got the feeling that you got yourself well and you got yourself some perspective and then you got angry. Yes. Is that sort of sort of the way that it went approximately? Yes, I think it was more, I don't think it was quite as linear as that. I think, you know what, it's, it's, I find it really difficult to create a, um, an, a, a nice tidy, you know, chronological, like a timeline of my recovery because it feels like it was so all over the place. And I actually try and lean into that because I feel like, I feel like a lot of what we hear and see and read around recovery from eating disorders, disordered eating, you know, dieting, ditching dieting and and bad body image is like, oh, I had this problem and then learned this and then I got better. And that in reality, very tidy. it's very tidy, very linear. And that's just not how it works. That's not how recovery works. And I didn't know that before my recovery. And so I went in with this expectation that, and it was just basically another standard that I set for myself that I wasn't meeting. But to answer your question, I think I got angry, but wasn't necessarily better while I was angry and, and, and galvanized, I guess, into action by learning about diet culture. But I still wasn't well and I still wasn't recovered but that was definitely a huge like hugely pivotal learning about diet culture and getting angry about it was hugely pivotal for me in getting better Mm. I mean it's it's so everywhere Mm. that I almost feel like you know you know in a way I've got a friend who was a heroin addict and came out of rehab and Mm. said listen all I have to do is never take drugs again the ones I feel sorry for are the foodies right because you still have to engage with everything and also to try and reposition yourself and your self-image in a healthy way I almost feel like if I were to achieve this and I'm not physically ill but I do I worry about this all the time I'd have to separate myself from the entire world 
Right. How do you begin? And this is, oh my God, this is the thing. And when I was, when I was going through therapy, which I was very lucky to have access to, I remember crying to my therapist and saying, I wish my problem was drugs or I wish my problem was gambling. And I don't, I don't mean that now. I know that 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 is a very reductive way of looking at it, but the idea that I could just banish something from my life completely felt like it would be much easier to recover from. And the, the idea that I had to continue eating but somehow fix my relationship with food while continuing to eat every day, multiple times a day, just felt so overwhelming. And 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 this is this is the problem as well. But this is also why diet culture is so widespread and so uh, lucrative, such a lucrative business and so thriving. I think it's like one hundred and ninety two point two billion dollar industry, and that's why because we have to eat and we have to. You know, we have to eat multiple times a day. And so there's lots of opportunities to to profit off of that. Um, yeah, to make us feel bad about it, exactly. Right. But also, it's, it's everything that we see, isn't it? I, I was looking at one of the um, influencers that you recommended in your book. Mm. And she did a series about women we thought were fat but were actually beautiful. Right. That Kate Winslet, we, when she did Titanic, ravishing, was called Kate Weighs a Lot. That Jessica yes. Simpson was laughed out of town for being you know, looking back 100%, you know, ravishing and healthy. Right. So, um, you know, where, where, do you, where does one look in order to start to see things and to see ourselves differently? Where do you start? Very, very good question. And one thing to note is I think it's brilliant how much access we have to resources now, whereas 10 years ago we just didn't. We had one narrative and one path to go down, that was diet culture, thinness, got to be thin no other choice or at least got to strive to be thin whereas now we do have alternative narratives which is great and a lot of resources um and i think for me it's a i i would suggest and what was vital for me in my recovery was number one to desensitize ourselves to images of normal bodies because we have had one type of beauty thrown at us and shoved in our face for all of our lives and that image is a very, very slim white woman, tanned and toned, I'm saying that in air quotes. And it becomes so that when we start to see other, when, when we start to see images of bodies that don't look like that, it's a shock. I remember initially when I first curated my feed and started to follow people of all different shapes and sizes. And it was, it was a genuinely a shock to see these women and to see their bodies and to see them to see their bodies in a context that wasn't, this is my before picture, um, I'm on this weight loss diet, you know, it was like, no, this is my body. And like, it is what it is. And that's great. And it was like, really shocking to me. But it didn't take long for me to become desensitized to that. And once you become desensitized to it, and once you start to see bodies of all different shapes and sizes in this positive context, you then start to be able to see the beauty in those bodies. Whereas before it just felt like, oh, but they just, they don't look beautiful because we, this looks beautiful, this standard of beauty, like that's what's beautiful. And once then you start to see the beauty in those bodies, you're much more, you're in a much better place to be able to see the beauty in your own body then. But I think this has to be paired with, in in my opinion, with um, education, educating yourself around why we want to be thin in the first place because we're not born hating our bodies we're not born wanting to be thin it's not innate you know I think for the longest time we thought oh it's just an, it's just 
it's just a thing. Like women just want to be thin. Like we're just we're just born wanting to be thin. Absolutely not true. It's conditioning, which is proven by how beauty standards differ across the world. So I think learning why we want to be thin, why we we've been fed the idea that we have to be thin, which is diet culture, of course, which is a thriving industry. I think that is really important because that also gives you a chance then to rebel. You know, we don't want to line the pockets of these people who are profiting off our insecurities. Actually, no, we know what's best for us and for our bodies. And why are we going to spend our lives and spend so much valuable time and energy and headspace and all of it and potential just on this eternal quest to change our, to fight our reality and change our genetics and our DNA? It's just, it's just madness. Because if you think back to when you were still entrenched in this, you know, before you were diagnosed with with anorexia, I mean, it must, did it take up, when you talk about time and energy, like a lot of time and energy with less energy because you were eating less, presumably? I mean, it was was all-consuming. I remember hearing someone say that it was like a mental prison and that's exactly how it felt like. And there was not much that existed outside of that of that prison. And it was absolutely all consuming. Everything I thought about is zapped me of all energy, all headspace for anything else, anything around, anything other than food and how my body looked and my career really suffered as a result my social life suffered as a result I was you know irritable and and the relationships yeah my relationships just weren't in a good place at all and I think anyone who is a chronic dieter which is someone that you know goes from diet to diet to diet in the hope of finding the diet you know the one that the the miraculous one that's going to solve all their problems I think anyone who is a chronic dieter will be able to relate to this because when you're on diet and when you're restricting food it does take over your whole life and you have to say no to certain social situations and you have to monitor everything you're eating and do grueling sessions at the gym five days a week and it just it takes over your life and the sad thing is at the end of the day for what and when I was when I asked myself that question I really didn't know the answer I really couldn't get to a an answer that wasn't that didn't feel very arbitrary, you know, it just, for what? No, and at the times that I've been thinnest, as it were, I've been craziest or most miserable. I mean, it's literally, there's never been a point where, where it's all like, exactly like you said, the key to the magic kingdom has opened and you've stepped in and, and then you'll just, you know, hit your ideal, whatever. It's so, it's so toxic. I don't know any, I don't know a single woman who's been happiest at their thinnest. No. Even though their thinnest has, for almost all of us, felt like a victory, always mad and incredibly unhappy. And, and also, as this is all going on, don't you find echoing through your brain was all the stuff that people said to you when you were a child or a teenager? These little throwaway comments. You can forget entire years, entire summers. You can forget teachers. You can forget grandparents. You can forget all right. sorts of things that happened when you were a child. And yet... I can think, you know, on one hand, five throwaway comments that were made to me between the ages of, I don't know, nine and 17. And uh, and they're burned on my brain. Absolutely. And people don't realise just how detrimental these comments are to our well-being and just how much they stick with us and stay with us. I, you're so right. I think I remember probably like five, no, more than that 
things that like aunties and parents and and you know random people say to you and, and that's why and other school children actually and yeah 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 and they're getting and, and the thing is like it's not their fault either it's and it's not it, you know everyone is a victim of diet culture a lot of those things are just projections of that person's own insecurities and own issues but god the education for parents especially i think needs to be so much they're just then well there needs to be some education to parents around body image and how not to talk about your own body around your children and your children's bodies because it's just it's so toxic and so damaging and you just don't know the harm you're causing i mean just weighing all these children against this toxic measure which you talk about in your book and i'd love to ask you about now of bmi yes um at my thinnest and maddest and most miserable which was maybe i don't know eight or ten years ago i remember i posed as a playboy bunny for a magazine and wrote a story about it i mean i was really i was at the gym five times a week i'd broken up with the man i was going to marry i was deranged i was very thin and at that point when i looked you know as, as thin as i've ever looked um i was on the scales definitely overweight in terms of my bmi and i just thought you know where is there to go <laughs> right right Oh my God, BMI. I mean, I think that is one of the main topic that's in my DMs on a daily basis because we live in this, well, our healthcare system is centred around this weight normative approach where weight seems to be the key to healthiness. And I find it so unbelievable that we are still in that place with, despite all the evidence we have, I mean, there's a study that's proven that people in the overweight category are likely to live longer than those in the healthy category. And yet it's just not questioned. I mean, it is being more so questioned now in the medical system, but for the longest time, it has just gone completely unquestioned. And if you are not in the healthy, in the healthy category, you're not healthy, which is just so 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 inaccurate you cannot because the healthy the healthy category is narrow jesus it's it's narrow narrow, isn't it Mm, but also do you remember annabelle when when we when i found the lump in my breast and we went to the to see the doctor um, at the hospital and and he said i see you know he's a sort of older gentleman probably mid 60s definitely and uh, and he said i see you're keeping yourself nice and slim and healthy and i was just like how do you i'm here because i found a lump in my breast what are you talking about surely yeah. that's such a strange kind of like thing to say to to a woman who's just about to take her clothes off in front of you well I it's don't know. there's yeah. blame you see there's blame if you weren't keeping yourself which is a nice 50s keeping yourself tidy keeping yourself yes. nice and slim and healthy then it would that lump be your fault and also would mm. they anyone even examine you for anything before they sent you home for six months to try and you talk about that that in your book alex is that you know fat people's health problems get ignored and dismissed right and weight stigma is way more detrimental to people's health than what they weigh <laughs> which yeah, exactly. is just so ironic and the thing that none of this takes into consideration is the fact that we are we are all completely different shapes and sizes. And some people are bigger. Some people have a bigger frame, have a bigger size. And the BMI doesn't even take into account bone density or composition of your body. It's just, it's so reductive. And yet people are treated based on whether they are in the healthy category or not. And people, for example, aren't allowed access to IVF because of because of their BMI. And it's or, or certain medications they're not allowed to have because of because of their BMI, and it's it, it's just so. I mean, health is. I mean, health is so 
nuanced and so multi, you know, faceted and, and it's very difficult to sort of even pin down a definition of health. But it encompasses so much more than where you land on a on a scale that was never meant for individual use. It was it was devised as a means to to find a, an average on a on a population level across an entire population. It was never meant for individual use. And yet here we are 70 years later, I think it was, yeah, 70 odd years later, still using that scale to determine someone's health. It's Yes, averages on, aren't helpful, are they? And right. on top of that, we're victims of trend as well in terms of, you know, I mean, Annabelle and I have lived through, so now in our mid 40s, 47, whatever. So we've lived through kind of heroin chic. We've lived yeah. through um, through the kind of athleticism of the 80s. When we you were know, 15, we'd... there was nothing worse, nothing more sort of shameful than having a big bum. People right. would say, oh, she's, re- you know, she's really pretty. She's got a really big bum. Like that was a killer fact. That was over for her. Yeah. She had a big bum. And look where we are now. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, no, and we're not, and we're, we're shifting out of that now which is causing all sorts of issues as well. Where the fuck are we going? Where the fuck are we going again? And it's really interesting, actually, because a friend of mine, her daughter's dual heritage, and she's 13, and she can see the inconsistencies of the messages that are aimed at black girls and at white girls. So it's white girls, you're supposed to be thin, black girls are supposed to be curvy. And then and then somewhere, in you know, sometimes the trends is for is for kind of white. I mean, it's sort of mad. She's and she's, you know, like I said, she's dual heritage. And she's like, I don't even know what I'm supposed to. And the answer is obviously nothing. You're supposed to be you. And be beautiful in your beautiful way. But right. oh my God. And that's the scary thing is that the goalposts are always shifting. <laughs> and we can never win. Like you said, like, do you remember that book, Does My Bum Look Big in This? And that was like the phrase yeah. at the time, wasn't it? Like, oh, does my bum look big in this? Like, hope it doesn't. And then fast forward and what, then it 20 was, years. Does my bum look big enough in this? <laughs> exactly, right. And yeah. now, 10 years after the that, when now the... The, the people who pioneered that trend, the Kardashians, pioneered the, the big bum trend, are now having their BBLs reversed. And mm. they don't want that anymore. That's not their look anymore. So that's not going to be the trend anymore. It's like, how can we ever win? We, we just can't ever keep up. There is no... The, and- it, it's forever shifting, forever changing. Beauty trends come and go. And yet we spend our lives chasing them. And that's really scary. And... At the root of this as well, like what underpins all of this is it's a it's a brilliant tool of the patriarchy to keep women obedient, silent, busy. You know, we we we've got our heads down, you know, trying to stay slim or to match or to live up to this trend or that trend. And it keeps us very quiet and obedient and doesn't allow us to go out and achieve what we should be. So that's what's particularly insidious about about beauty trends and body trends and standards. Yeah, I agree. Hungry women can't be activists, right? <laughs> because yeah. they're tired. <laughs> yeah. It's like this it's sort of an amazing quote that you can't smash the patriarchy on an empty stomach. And I can't remember who it is. I think it's Christy Harrison, who's a dietitian. She says, yeah, you can't you can't go out and smash the patriarchy on an empty stomach, which I love. I love that. Absolutely. Yeah. When you talk about diet culture, what exactly do you mean? So diet culture basically means the idea, the myth, that thinness is the best thing that a human can achieve and that thinness is going to be the key to, it's going to unlock your happiness, 
you're it's going to make you desirable successful uh lovable and 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 happy and it's the idea that we need to spend our lives trying to achieve that above and, and no matter the costs no matter the the repercussions or, you know no matter the means I mean, you think about the absurd sense of victory that we all feel if we fit somehow into a smaller size. Right. <laughs> you know, reducing ourselves is definitely, definitely the goal. Right. Um, I absolutely love a reel you did in early August, I think it is, where you're like, how did I, how did I get this look? You said, and, it, and then you size up right. and you're suddenly so comfortable and it's like this fits and it doesn't. Yeah. And it's like, yes, how did I go from this? you know squeezed yes. uncomfortable to this elegant and beautiful i bought a bigger size right and and actually like we, it, it's so true we spend our lives wanting to be a smaller size like oh you know you can't be above a 12 and it starts to get into like bad territory again air quotes i always say this on the podcast because i'm like i need people to know that i'm saying this in air quotes but like what does a size mean like what does it actually mean and people say you know cut out the labels in your clothes i'm like yes if that is initially going to make you feel better than yes, but also you don't need to cut out the label of your clothes. Whatever size you are, whatever size you're taking is absolutely fine. There is nothing wrong with it. There is nothing to be ashamed about. No size. There should be no shame around any size. And it's only because we have this stupid diet culture belief that you have to be as small as possible and to, to women need to shrink themselves and be the smallest version of themselves that's the only reason that we feel shame around around certain sizes, around sizing up. When actually, it just means it doesn't mean anything. And you know, it doesn't it, mean anything. It should I agree. Exactly the same as sizing down. You know, and mm. it's like with weight loss and weight gain, they're both inherent parts of being a human, and they're both just normal parts of living our lives. And sometimes we gain weight, and sometimes we lose weight. And and yet and we're always are congratulated, aren't we? Right. For losing weight. Weight loss is seen you look. As ha- yes. Amazing. Have you lost weight? You look amazing. Well done. Right. And it, and it feels good to get that compliment, mm. you know, and, and a lot of us are guilty as well. Oh, my God. The amount of times I've said to people in the past, like, you look amazing. Like, have you lost weight? You definitely lost weight, haven't you? And this is actually really divisive whenever I talk about this, because people say, why shouldn't I be able to say that? Because it is a um, um, an achievement when you've lost weight. But that only... F- serves to perpetuate the narrative then that that being smaller is better and it's just not mm. and now what we have of course is um you know it was all very well in the 50s 60s 70s 80s 90s keep yourself slim yeah. you know for your man for your self-respect <laughs> you know keep yourself you know slender but Ooh, now she's let herself go yeah let, but now you're not even seeing what you're seeing as in filters so M Clarkson did a brilliant reel a couple of days ago where she said she stood there in leggings and a bra top and said, this is me, but I can make my waist smaller. I can make my boobs. It was all happening in real time. I can make yeah. my boobs bigger, make my legs thinner. I can change my shoulders so they're bonier and I can move around like an avatar. You know, it's not just, it's not even airbrushing of stills anymore. I can, I can show you a body that I don't even own and you will never know. This is an advertisement from BetterHelp Therapy Online. Now, you guys know that we are not shy about getting things off our chest. The tiny inconveniences that can ruin our days to the big, overwhelming worries that can flood our nights. Trouble is, we all got into the habit of saying, I'm absolutely fine. Emily and I added the but 
specifically to get off autopilot and give ourselves the space to say what we were really experiencing. But we weren't always so free with our inner furies. A few years ago, I began experiencing debilitating panic attacks because I felt I couldn't tell anyone all the things that I was feeling, that I was not coping, that I felt like a failure. I was so ashamed, so I kept it all bottled inside. And of course, it started leaking out. It was only when I found a therapist and began sharing those doubts and insecurities with her that the panic began to dissipate. Because therapy can be a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, why not give BetterHelp a try? It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a registered therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. With over a thousand therapists in the UK already, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise. And our listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash midalt. That's better. H-E-L-P dot com slash midalt. Better help, because sometimes the best thing to do is acknowledge that we are not, in fact, absolutely fine. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Yeah. So we're being 100% gaslit totally. by what we choose to interact with. Totally, yeah. And it's blurring the lines of reality, which is really scary. And it's creating... It's kind of into, into Princess Jasmine from Aladdin with her two centimetre waist and her <laughs> yeah. you know, improbable bosoms, yeah. you know. And, her... and, and that's the thing, it's like, it's just, it's creating... Yeah, Barbie, who could, shouldn't be able to stand up, sorry, like if yeah. she was an actual woman anyway. But sorry, yeah, she yeah. wouldn't be able to walk, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. So, okay. I mean, great, here she is, kids, play with her. Anyway. Yes. And some of the content that we see on Instagram, people are almost at that stage where they look like they have Barbie proportions, which is so scary. But it, but it is blurring the lines of reality and creating a standard, an ideal that is not just like completely unobtainable. It's like it's unrealistic because it's it, because it is literally not real, and that is the scary things. And we are, I mean, humans are hardwired comparison we go through our lives and also comparison is drummed into us as well it's really reiterated and throughout our lives but then social media is just like an absolute breeding ground for comparison and then we're seeing these flawless images by society standards and it's it's creating this really extra toxic comparison that we just can't ever live up to and it's really it's it's horrifying and it's scary and I think what I, I was talking to someone who has a daughter who's 16 and she said that her daughter, when she sees images that aren't edited, that are completely authentic and haven't been touched, it actually comes as a shock to her because she's so used to seeing flawless content that she's like, oh, wow. Oh, that's how people actually look. And that is so I mean, scary. that's amazing. But also when you, when you go on, for example, TikTok, immediately, if you're going to film, there is a filter on you. Yeah, there isn't yeah. an op, you, you have to turn off a filter. So why, why would anybody, people immediately then log on and go, oh, I look great. Yes, <laughs> like, we're all know, too disgusting to be seen in our natural states. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. But it's just automatically filtered. So you just, why would you then reverse it? Because 
I mean, obviously one should, but you know, you're tempted. You're like, oh, okay, I look nice. I'm going to keep that. You mentioned yeah. Alex. You mentioned earlier that when you were you were start you were, you when you entered recovery, one of the things you did was to curate your feed. Yes. So did you get a little bit more careful about what you looked at? Totally, totally. Because I was only following... what did you look at? Well, I I was following people that I thought were my motivation and they were inspirational, and I was going that that that's what I'm going to look like if I keep going and if I keep losing weight or if I try and fix this or if I try and get rid of my cellulite or try and thin my waist I'm going to look like that and that's my inspiration that's my motivation that's going to keep me going and I only followed people who upheld the the society standard of beauty and it just made me really really miserable because I was seeing and I I didn't even take into account that the content I was consuming on there as well was edited that didn't even cross my mind you know with I, I think as a whole like humans we're not we, we don't automatically engage critical thinking and we don't necessarily... Well, I think when people watch porn, they don't necessarily think, oh, that woman was gaffer taped to a radiator 15 minutes ago and doesn't right. want to be there at all. Right, exactly. You know, I think, I think that what you want to see overrides the reality of what might be happening. Right, exactly. Even if you watch, an act, if you watch Top Gun, we don't yeah. think, oh, well, you know, this is, you know, CGI and simulated and, you know. Right, we take it at face value. Mm. And that was... Um, and so, yeah, it was it was it was having a genuinely further detrimental effect on my body image, which was already through the floor. And when I started to curate my feed, and like I said, I went through that period of desensitization where I was shocked. And then, as I came out of that and started to then, yeah, see the, and I remember a real light bulb moment, a really pivotal moment, was thinking, God, that woman looks good. And then thinking, oh, wow, that woman kind of looks like me. <laughs> Her body is really not too dissimilar to mine. So why can I think that she looks good? But when I look at myself and my own body, why do I think it's disgusting? Like, why do I want to crawl out of my own skin? Why do I think I just look horrible? And I couldn't, there was no answer to that because there isn't an answer to that. It's just an in, internal bias and, and the way we talk to ourselves and our inner critic. And that was really pivotal because I was like, that is proving to me that that my body image, my negative body image is a problem with my mind, not my body. It's not how my body looks. It's how my mind perceives how my body looks. And that is a fantastic realization because you don't need to change your body in order to change how you feel about your body. And that is so powerful. Like now I'm I'm like one of the biggest I've ever been. And like, I'm certainly a lot, lot, lot heavier um, than I, I used to be. And I'm the happiest I've ever been. So, like, make that make sense in diet culture's eyes, you know? It doesn't, it doesn't make sense because I'm supposed to be miserable. I'm supposed to be on a constant diet and trying to change my body. And yet it's entirely the opposite. So I think that is hugely important to create your feed to include people of all different shapes and sizes and races and genders. And just to see, uh, to be met with a genuine cross-section of society rather than looking at a permanent... 90s billboard ad you know can you recommend some good people to follow good places to look yes curvy naomi is amazing uh body image with brie beauty redefined anti-diet riot club um sean lord is amazing full body becca um well that's enough to get started that's enough to get started have a good old perv over those yeah Um, and then and and then and then you and and you talk in your book about being straight sized which you are and I think I am which is sort of not 
necessarily plus size. So yeah. Do you get pushback about the stuff that you're talking about? Because they're like, well, you don't know because you're not really body positive because you're not really big enough to talk about this. Totally. And to an extent, they, they have a point in that. At the root of all of this is fat phobia, which is just so rampant in our society. And so, I mean, it's so ubiquitous. And we have this huge fear of fatness. And that is, it's, you know, and, and fat phobia as well is just, it's so casual. And people say, you know, it's, the, it's one of the last forms of oppression. And comedians use it as jokes all the time. It's in TV shows as like the fat person is always the one bears the brunt of the joke. And fat phobia and diet culture are, well, they, they like rely on one another, obviously. And so I guess it's difficult for me to talk about fat phobia and discrimination based on body size when I've never experienced it. So that's one of my limitations, obviously. Like I just, mm. you know, um, so the only thing that I can do is try and fight against it and try and call it out when I see it and try and help or try and amplify voices of those who have experienced it to work out what we can do uh, because it's it's within it's within everyone's interest for fat phobia to be dismantled and, and to be eradicated from our society it's within all of our interest because then diet culture would die because you know, if we if we aren't scared of being fat, if we don't have this fear of fatness, then and I think the thing is, is some people, if they're sufficiently sort of entrenched, would think, well, if diet culture dies, then everybody will get incredibly, dangerously, morbidly, horrifically, you know, life threateningly, can't leave your house, obese. No, That's just, not going to happen. No, not at all. And oh god, I I find this so funny. This like. Not funny, that's reductive, but I just, I, I find it wild, this this narrative that, oh, body positivity and, and getting rid of diet culture will mean that we all get fat. And it's it's just not the case. As if, like, we all have this leash around us. Yes, it's a metaphorical like girdle. Exactly. Yes, exactly. And the moment they say it's okay to be who you are, we'll be like, bring me every Ooh. pie. We yeah. want all the eclairs. Right, right. And it's just... It's so not true because actually, I mean, 95% of diets don't work. That's a, a statistic that has been challenged, but actually has been also been upheld. 95% of diets don't work. And actually a huge percentage of those diets result in weight gain. And there was a study um, with twins and identical twins. And they followed these identical twins uh, where whereby one twin spent a portion of their lives dieting and the other didn't. And the one that did diet ended up, I think it was like five kilograms heavier on average than the other twin. Because dieting and restriction of our food and what we're eating, it results in this biological, human, very human biological response, which is a backlash to that, which is, you know, I need to get food. I've been deprived. I've been restricted. I need to get food. And so a lot of us end up heavier through dieting. Well, it's not just, I think, uh, you know, in doubling down on a food obsession. I think also it's quite easy to fuck up your metabolism. Exactly. That as well. So, you know, if you in, put it into starvation mode, it's going to want to it's going to want to hold on to as much as possible. Right. So there is no science at all behind saying that if we ditch dieting, we're going to put on weight. It's just not true. Um, and actually, it would improve our health because mental health is such a huge part of health. And it would release this, you know, prison that we're all that we're all trapped in and the, the pressure yeah. on women's shoulders you know particularly to yeah. look a certain way i mean if you think of the misery that it's caused a yeah. huge percentage of 
of the population. I wonder when we'll start to see a more um, uh, a better cross section of body shape on on our screens. I know there've been one or two things. There was that great comedy series about that girl looking for love, and she was plus size. Oh, shrill star. Oh. Shrill. So that I can think of that. Yeah. I think of Amy Schumer, who isn't skinny, writing and directing her own material. I think Melissa McCarthy being yeah. really, really funny, but not, you know, a leading lady, really, in a romantic sense. Right. I, I wonder, I mean, it, you, you still can't really see it. You, Yes, I mean, the magazine editors are, are, are sort of, I mean, are they paying lip service or are they believing it? Who knows? But it's starting to be reflected across fashion more. Yeah. But film and TV, and the- no. Emma Thompson's really interesting about this because obviously her film, Good Luck to You, Leo Grande, is such a big thing about women's body acceptance, but she's in her 60s. And um, and it's about how to gain pleasure from your, 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 for yourself, on your, for your body and not have that sort of imposition. And um, and there's this incredible scene where she takes her clothes off at the end and well, she takes her clothes off quite a lot in the, in the thing. But she's talking about her career and how she was never a kind of classic leading lady because she was never fit she never fit into the sort of acceptable Hollywood kind of look and she said on an interview and I listened she's like you have no idea how thin these girls are these actresses these stars they're sort of and it's sort of it's so weird that we would worship these ghosts you know it's a sort of it seems so like so depressingly self-harming and I mean that's what it all is in the end ultimately if you don't accept yourself and you don't can't you know if you say to yourself I'm not going to go out I'm not going to get into the water today because I don't want anybody to see me in a swimsuit I don't want to go out you know it's so depressing actually ultimately it's incredibly sad it's so sad and and it's sad it's sad for us only seeing those actresses on on tv who and 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 screen who were who are so thin, but sad for them as well, you know? Yeah, so awful. sad that they that's their, you know, that has to be their preoccupation in life is to stay a certain size, otherwise they can't work. It's just, yeah, it's and and the 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 thing is, the thing that I find so unbelievable as well is that that's not what the consumer actually wants. Like with advertising, we don't want to see thin people. With e-commerce and seeing, you know, when ASOS model their clothes. We don't want to see it modelled on a typical model. We don't want that because that's not... We want to, we want to see it modelled on people who look like us and then we get a better idea of what we're going to look like in the clothes. But why we're in a place where everything, all advertising features only thin... Thin women. Well, just, I think it was. I think it was. It was Karl Lagerfeld. You know, would you know had a, had a had a fat yeah. phobia. He eventually. The idea was, if we put our clothes on bigger models, mm. the clothes will look bad. Yeah, but it's not about the clothes. It's about us looking good, not the clothes looking good. Uh, right. Yes. Exactly. Yes. If you want yeah. the clo- you, if, the, if you want the clothes to look the way the clothes were intended to look, then you put them on a literal coat hanger. Yes. Not a walking <laughs> yes. one. Exactly. Um, and you know, you think of you know, you know, in, as when we were growing up in our in our teens and twenties, it was fat Monica on Friends in a fat suit. Yeah, shallow hell, Gwyneth, shallow hell, shallow hell, Gwyneth Paltrow in a fat suit. There was a yeah. lot of fat suit action. Totally, and and back on that point as well about clothes. And the only reason that we think clothes look better on thin women that's just conditioning. You know, mm. it's just because we haven't seen. Clothes models yes. on bigger women. How would we know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. 
No, it's completely absurd. Yeah. It's it's so destructive. And I do think it was interesting for me the other day, a girlfriend of mine, when it was so hot um, during the heat wave and I was wearing, a kind, I was basically wearing a kind of bra and a pair of shorts. And I thought, oh God, I can't go out. It's so hot. I can't go out like this. And a girlfriend of mine was like, you know what? When you're 50, when you're 55, you're not going to look back and go, I'm really sad about the time that I went <laughs> out in a crop top and a pair of shorts. You're going to be like, look at me striding out into the world wearing whatever the fuck I want, feeling right. how I want. Right. What is wrong with us that we just, right. we, you know, the, we let this sort of thing toxify our moments to such an extent. And we know, it, now, you know, you're so right. Anyway, your book's so important. Yeah, that is, it's basically... On Instagram, the, it's so important. The most flattering thing is whatever the fuck you want to wear. Exactly. Whatever the fuck, yes. Exactly. And I, I find it difficult to get dressed every single morning because nothing looks the way I think it should look. Right. Every day. Yeah. At 40. I mean, that's... that's it, it, it's mad. It's mad. And, um, but also... Yeah. You know, you look sensational. To me, you are the epitome of everything that is chic, sophisticated, energized, interesting. You are so vibrant and you look so wonderful. So, you know. Oh, well, thank you. It's so true. Uh, No, but it it is this kind of mental prison. And, you know, and I'm not ill with it, but, you know... Alex, you got ill with it, and many people do. And mm. I, so I was just look, flicking through your book earlier, and you were saying, you know, a lot of women in their 50s and 60s think that it's too late to mm. turn their heads around and try and to see their bodies and weight and diets and food in a different way. And you said that you'd spoken to someone who said that is absolutely not the case. Totally. I mean, look, there's a lot of unpicking to do for anyone who's entrenched in diet culture and for anyone who's really grown up in this society there is a lot of unpicking to do, and especially for someone in their 50s and 60s who has has had more exposure to it, it is going to be difficult to unpick and unpack. And it's not necessarily something that, you know, it's definitely not something that can happen overnight. It requires like work and time and effort, but it's totally possible. And the rewards are magical because you can free yourself. Finally, you can free yourself to just be comfortable and in your own body. Feel free yourself of the shame of living in a body that you are, feel embarrassed about, and just yeah, just just live free of these expectations. It's that the you know as someone, I don't want to you know be like oh my god, I'm like you know I've I, I've done the work and I'm like free of everything. Can I never have any problems? Because obviously that's not in the case. The case because I still live in a world that reflects these diet culture values back at me so but having got to a place where I do on the whole feel at peace with my body I can tell you that it's like the best thing ever it's just wonderful it's so liberating and and amazing and it's just it's worth doing and it's at least worth it's at least worth trying rather than thinking oh it's too ingrained in me now there's nothing I can do it's definitely worth trying and you 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 owe it to yourself I guess to try it's so weird when you hear a child talking about fat as a bad thing and you think, how did that happen? Where did they get that from? Yeah. And then you realise, as you point out, if you look at any cartoon or any kid's show yeah. from The Little Mermaid, you know, uh, you know uh, onwards, every baddie, every mean, lazy, cruel baddie is fat. Right. Yeah. The so it, all, the, all the stories they're being told, even at, however much we say to them, oh, no, 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 you know, you're perfect. Yeah. Everywhere they look, fat is not just bad, it's mean, it's insidious, it's, yeah. you know, it's, it's dishonest, it's all number of moral values ascribed to it. Totally, yeah, I know, it's, it's, 
It's so sinister, isn't it? It's so sinister. Yeah. And the messages start so young in, for example, Disney and the cartoons and even Peppa Pig. I haven't really looked into that, but um, I know that I've, I've had a few mums message me about that. I think the dad is fat and he's always like ridiculed for it, I think. And there are messages everywhere. And there are just there are so many messages that even probably we're so used to that we just don't even pick up on. But that is the overriding narrative that fat people are lazy made to be the brunt of the joke and the yeah and the evil that's particularly sinister the fact that they're, they're they're portrayed as evil and the villains in the disney films like that's particularly horrible and cruel mm. and i suppose some parents would think oh well you know if i make sure that my child knows that fat is bad then i'm going to be freeing them from the danger of being fat and they actually I would imagine the opposite is often true totally yeah. yeah, that's the theme for this, isn't it? The opposite is basically true, right? Isn't the it? opposite it's like, is true. Yeah. Forget so yes, yeah. Forget everything. Yeah. You've I mean, it, it sounds almost like a fun project. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Alex, thank you so much for coming on. And um, oh. uh, you are not a before picture is out now. It's full of. It's bulletproof. It's full of research. It's full of wisdom. It's also a sort of a sort of a sort of furious howl into the void, which is always brilliant. Yeah. And um, and huge congratulations. And please come back and talk to us soon. And also please follow Alex on Instagram because I re- it's one of my favorite Instagram feeds. Oh, thank you guys so much for having me on. I've absolutely loved talking to you both. Thank you. Oh, thanks, Alex. Thanks. Bye. Stay tuned for our conversation with Beja London's co-founder and head of design, the sensational Abby Miranda. So, Abby, why bras and knickers? Of all the things you could have done in the world, why bras and knickers? What was missing in the bra and knicker landscape that you felt you could fill? So what's interesting about Beja's heritage story is our family business is lingerie manufacturing. So they've oh. supplied the whole of the UK high street, except for MS, for the past 40 years. So we have got a powerhouse of experienced, technical, creative, phenomenal women that have just made fantastic bras for all of these years. And from that, Beja has launched. And because we noticed there was definitely a spot in the market for a simple, modern, cool, streamlined look that we definitely thought was missing. Just a sort of a brand that was relative to what women were wearing on their outerwear, which was a mm. bit more cooler, more like less fussy and just, yeah, a bit more dynamic. You've taken away, we have to choose between enormous and flesh coloured and, you know, lacy dental floss. Exactly. We want to be special, but not for special occasions. That's our go-to point of reference. Because that just feels a bit old-fashioned now. Like, all of the fashion editors on the front row, they're all wearing trainers now. Like, we're not mm. teetering around in our stilettos anymore. And we need underwear that sort of reflects that modern ethos. I spent a disproportionate amount of my time thinking about bras. <laughs> and I found it historically incredibly hard to find mm. bras that fit and that will make my boobs just, just keep them in one place and just make them behave in a sort of not too ruthless, you know, industrial way. So it, it, it's a shame that I've always had to um, choose... Comfort has always aligned with sort of slightly hating myself because it's been so ugly. Yeah, funky. And it's weird how recently that has opened up for us all because underwear is really emotional, isn't it? Oh, honestly, it really is. Like, it's so intimate. She, when we're in the changing room with our with a customer, like, she's basically naked. She couldn't be any more vulnerable. 
and to be part of that experience and watching her then admire herself and see positives, which always happens when she puts on a beige bra and looks in the reflection, like guaranteed she's going to enjoy her reflection. And it's just the most healing, wonderful place to be. It's such an amazing industry because of that. And like at every age as well, we get like older women in their 70s coming in and it just makes me feel actually excited about getting older because we're bloody beautiful. Like we really are. And there's something beautiful in every single woman. You just have to help her find it. Particularly when we've all been educated to hate everything about our bodies, you know, practically from birth. I know that, but I feel like this is, we are now rebelling from that era, that yeah. Hello Boys era. Beja is here to rectify that damage because that's the era I grew up in. And, and I mean, I've had always had quite a good body image just because growing up around mum's business <laughs> and seeing <laughs> yeah. so much nakedness and seeing it just, it wasn't a sexualized place, even though the product was really sexy. It was actually just women creating and having a really great time. But for other women, my yeah, we do suffer with those sort of unconfidence and comparison because we only saw one type of woman. Nowadays, we get a nice spectrum, I think. We believed that only one type of woman was acceptable, that there was only one fit for human consumption. And nine times out of ten... We weren't that. Yeah, and you had to have and blow dry is, lip gloss. Yeah, I think it's really important to spend lots of time with lots of naked women. Oh. I know that sounds like mad, but I can see exactly it's like why you're cold have swimming a... in. Yes, I'm exactly. Really when I go to the ponds, and you see every single shape and and every single combination, you realise that there isn't it isn't a kind of conspiracy against you that there isn't this mythic kind of you know, Stepford wife movement of women out there looking exactly the same. We're all completely yeah. built, you know, differently. And so one, that explains why sometimes in Zara you have a nervous breakdown because this doesn't fit or whatever, because everything, you know, there is no homogeny. And then the other thing is, is that, is that you know, stop punishing yourself and enjoy the things that you want to enjoy and find, find things that make you happy. It's fascinating getting an opportunity to actually look at other women's bodies in a totally yes. sort of democratic, admiring way and just think, wow, all I the time. know, it's like, that's what happens at our photo shoots because we use our community, we use our mates, everyone gets roped in for the shoots and like the energy just changes and everyone is just so lifted because you can see, seeing another woman feeling herself, enjoying herself, who's way bigger or way slim or got much bigger boobs or much smaller boobs than you, but, like, you compare yourself in a positive way rather than a negative way, which is just fantastic. You're like, well, she's got her bums way bigger than mine and she looks fantastic. I'd love to have a body like that. Yeah, that's there's room for the, all of us. That's the... I don't like how can we spread this message because it's, like you say, like, hanging out with other women is the only way that we can do it. We should have a naked in. Yes, a naked in. When I think of all the money that I've spent on bras over the last 30 years, and I've definitely thrown away more than I've kept, because also the funny thing about most bras, you have to wear them for a little while. Yeah. I mean, you put, you, you put them on in a changing room and you give yourself 10 seconds because it's strip-lit and you see yourself from every angle and you're probably in tears. But really, <laughs> you should actually mooch around for a few minutes to see how they settle yeah. on your body, I think, don't you? Which is why your online offering is so good. Yeah, that's really good. The online bra fitting services are corona baby um that we continue with and it's fantastic just 
Because some women are shy. Like, she just didn't want, want to go into a changing room. That, so it's, we can serve. It's like, oh, she might. Oh, you get so sweaty. You know? It's like jeans, guys. Hurry, You've got to be you in the mood. You clothes off. Yeah. You're hot. You're probably distressed. You're having to ask for another size. It's only occurred to me recently that if I buy a bra online, I am allowed to buy two sizes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To see which one fits and Th send one back. That's really common for us. Yeah. And also, a bra has to tick all these boxes, doesn't it? It has to mean that you enjoy looking at yourself when you look at yourself in the mirror that someone else who you may or may not want to have sex with is going to enjoy looking yeah. at you. And then it also has to work under your clothes. And that silhouette thing, silhouette's such yes. a good sort of old-fashioned schmutter word, isn't it? But it has to work with whatever you put on, on top of it. And I need all different, all different cuts of bras to go with all different cuts of clothes because of the large bosoms. But it'll make you, it makes your wardrobe work better for you, it makes your clothes look better if you've got a good-fitting bra. And because the customer will tend to sort of come in in a bra that's maybe too small so she's a double f and she's wearing a double d so she's overflowing it's the wires digging in she's splurging all over the place she's got a t-shirt on top and feels like all uh, lumpy so she feels like fat and not quite right and a bit like Ugh. like she doesn't work like it's not working and like mm. her clothes look crap and she's depressed put her in a 32 double f silhouette smooth wires in the right place completely game changer for her she'll walk out like completely different woman because it, if you're wearing the right size then the bra's working for you and it's like it's complementing the body you have now rather than the body that you want, which is maybe a double D cup and not a double yes. F. You are not a before picture. Yeah. And also, you know, some people pick their noses. I pick my bra. I'm forever hoisting in the middle of meetings, in the middle of dinners, hoiking my <laughs> boobs around because they've just migrated within a bra that presumably doesn't fit properly because yeah. presumably that shouldn't happen. No, 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 your bra shouldn't be migrating. <laughs> Well, Off it goes to Australia for a better life. <laughs> but bras are funny because they are both emotional and political, aren't they? Yes. You know, I remember being told when I was sort of 14 that you, you should never wear a black bra under a white shirt because, you know, people think you were fast and loose. <laughs> you know, these yes. like, never wear navy with black. Oh, but that yeah. was very much like, you know, then men will think you're easy. I mean, so mad. So the, mad. The narrative we were brought up with. But, like... It, but even like the things that uh, uh, customers will come into the change room and say, I'll be like, oh, I've got, you know, uh, so, uh, we, my family, we've all got like, big knees. Grandma was famous for her big knees. I was like, I bet there was one little prick in primary school that called the grandma fat knees. And it's had this like generational <laughs> impact on this That's family. That's legacy, grandma big knees. It's so <laughs> outrageous. What's it like working with your sister? Fantastic. I say it's a sister-sister team, Beijing. We are, yeah, sister-founders. I wouldn't be able to do it with anyone else and I wouldn't be able to do it alone. Like, the emails that we have to write and the, you know, the stuff that we have to go through, being able to do it together is bearable. Like, I couldn't be dealing with what we have to deal with on my own. Like, we... I mean, it does cross over into our, you know, home time and that sort of thing, but it works because we're just so passionate and believe in it and it's... It's so exciting, but it's amazing. And you can to do it say together. to your sister, "You've always been a massive dick," and oh, they yeah. get over that. Yeah. Whereas if it wasn't your sister, you might be in slightly sort of treacherous waters with that. And we've got really good, like, different skills and a good balance to each other. And also, we'll sort of pass the baton of who's having a breakdown and between <laughs> us, and sort of pull each other out of it. 
So one day it'll be like literally day to day. She's like, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. I'm like, it's not. Next day, she's like, oh my God. I'm like, it's fine, don't worry. <laughs> Everyone needs a breakdown baton yeah. to pass. You I can't have like... a breakdown at the same time. Absolutely no, not. Emily and I, I can remember one day since we've been working together, we had a breakdown at the same time. <laughs> it was a Friday. And we usually we passed the breakdown as we passed the arsehole back, yeah. back and forth. <laughs> and we were having simultaneous breakdowns and absolutely nothing got done. We just no, sat there and nothing. stared at the wall. We did. And then, yeah. and then sort of, and then went, I think we should just call this... Just yeah. write this one off. And then yeah. went to bed, basically. <laughs> we might even go to bed, like, together. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for sponsoring the podcast. And um, we'd advise everybody to go and have a look at Beja because, Definitely. It, as I said, sit up straighter, feel a bit sexier, and not have, if you have big boobs like me, or if you hate uncomfortable bras like Emily, not to have it playing on your mind all the time. Totally. Uh-huh. Um, so, Abby, thank you for coming to see us. And I hope we talk to you again. Lovely to meet you guys. Thank you Thanks, so much. Abby. Bye. This podcast was brought to you by Beja London. Bras for all the lives you lead and all the women you are. You've been listening to Annabelle Rifkin and Emily McMeekin of The Middle. Our book, I'm Absolutely Fine, is out now. If you like what you hear, please rate, review and subscribe. Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the ageing process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip (laughs) off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.